0: today's message is really Grinch Part 2. So if you missed Grinch Part 1, you can go online and and watch that sometime. And um, we basically talked last week about, um, you know, we all have a little bit of Grinch in our mind. We all have a little bit of grumpiness, dysfunctional, maybe a little bit of anger, maybe whatever, fill in the blank. And uh, it's easy to look at people who are really a mess and think, I'm so glad I'm not that bad off. But, but uh, to be honest with you, God wants us to have all of those issues taken care of because some, so many of them are rooted in fear. So many of them are rooted in fear. And I know a lot of times people don't connect those two. Because you just think, well, they're just angry or they're just impatient or they're just whatever. But the root of that, if you follow it back, is fear. There's something inside of them. And the, the good thing is the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So when you and I have a revelation of how much God loves us, fear just seems to subside off. So uh, we all, that's one of the reasons why we come to church. One of the many reasons is so that we can reshape our mind and our thinking instead of living from that place of fear to live from a place of joy and victory. Amen? So uh, when we learn to live from joy, we can finally be our true, authentic self. That is the true you. Anytime you and I uh, respond in anger, respond in a way that is... Not like Jesus would respond, then we're just not being who we truly are, authentically. So, I, I like to say this: living in rest looks a lot like Jesus. That's what it looks like. In John fifteen eleven, we said the scripture last week. It says, "I've told you these things that my joy and delight may be in you, and that your joy and gladness may be full." may be full of measure and complete and overflowing. This is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, no one has greater love. No one has shown stronger affection than to lay down, give up his own life for his own friends. If you're going to lay down your life, if you're going to truly love people, then you have to realize how much joy that is in you. That causes you to be and gives you the ability to love other people. We try to love other people on our own merit and by how they treat us or if they're a good person or not. Then we really love them. But how many know you're not good all the time? Testing, one, two. Everybody goes, I don't know what he's talking about, honey. Do you know we're good all the time? Yeah, yeah, right. Even you still have bad dreams, even when you're sleeping. But anyway, my point is this. If you try to love people based on merit alone, you may not want to love them, or your love may subside. So how can we change that? You don't love people based upon their merit. You don't love people based upon, well, they treated me right, so I'm going to treat them right. What what if Jesus did that? He wouldn't even have came to the earth. He goes, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't really need to go down there because they're going to spit on me. They're going to they're say all kinds of lies about me. They're going to do all kinds of terrible things to me. No, I, I think I'm staying up in heaven. I think I'm going to stay up there. But aren't you thankful? That was not his mentality. That was not his attitude. He chose to come down here. In spite of all of the ugliness, in spite of all the wrongdoing, he chose. And then he sit there and he goes, this is what I want inside of you. How many think that's awesome? All right. Six of you. That's good. There was only three or four in the first service. So I, I thought of this, that because when Jesus came, God put you and me in his heart. He put humanity in his heart, and in his heart was joy. And so you and I are basically swimming or just totally enveloped in the joy of Almighty God. Now, having said that, this is how you and I can live. We can put people in our heart, especially the ones that are irritating, that Or a thorn in our flesh. The relatives that when we go to a reunion, you can put lots of them in there too. The thing is, there's no limited space like, oh, it's full, Pastor. I'm sorry. It's just me, my wife, and our kids. We're full. No, it's because it's the heart of Almighty God that is in you. That is the most important real estate on the planet is your heart. I'm going to say it again. That is the most important real estate on the planet is that heart that is inside of you and me. So the Passion Translation of John 15, 11 says this. The purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated... When a person sacrifices his life for his friend. So joy starts with love. If you try to just experience joy outside of love, you'll come to the end of your rope. Joy starts and actually ends with love. And so this is how you and I live from a place of joy. is understanding how much God loves us. Then you can live from a place of joy. If you don't know and have an understanding of how much God loves you, you're not going to have a life of joy. I mean, Paul had such great revelation of this. This is why I want to continue to renew my mind because this is what, how many of you want to, you know, you, know, you don't want on your tombstone, thank God, he's six feet under. You don't have any say so what they put on your tombstone. If you're dead, I mean, you can say, well, I don't want them to put this. Yeah, they could or they can put anything they want. I think the most awesome thing is Paul said it this way. He said, I've finished my course, I finished my life, I've run the race, and I finished it with joy. Have you ever looked at the life of Paul? I don't know you, but I don't know how many times I've read in the book of Acts, and the and I thought, thank God I'm not Paul. Thank God I'm not Paul. Holy cow. I mean, they they beat him. He was preaching the gospel, he's doing good things. People. Uh, just said all kinds of terrible things about him. And these were church people doing all this kind of stuff in the name of God, trying to kill him. They did kill him once. He was raised from the dead. Snake bit. Out in the ship. Uh, out and it busted up, and he was out in the deep cold water a day and a night. I don't know. That's just not my idea of joy. But he said this, None of those things moved me. None of the things that Paul experienced, every circumstance he said, not one of them moved him. Moved him from what? From a place of joy. This is how Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How did Jesus say that? From a place of joy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I just discovered this a couple of weeks ago. The Aramaic word translated for sound mind is revelation, light, or instruction. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and revelation, light, instruction. In other words, you can have the power of God. You can have the love of God, but you and I need to have revelation of what that is. But the good news is that is in you as well. That is in all of us as well. And it's a journey discovering what that is, of seeing how much of the power of God is in me. In Ephesians, it says that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that is in us. The problem is we don't understand the power that is in us. The good news is we have revelation and light in us to discover that power that is in us. Or you can be real religious and say, God, give us more power. I used to pray that. You ever prayed that? God, just give us more power. We need more power in Pueblo. God says, no, you don't. You don't need more power. You may need more gospel which means you need to understand what the good news is. So instead of saying you need uh, more power, you say, no, you just need to understand the gospel that is in you. You need to understand what God is doing in you. So joy lifts us out of a place of need to a place of strength. Joy lifts us from a place of need to a place of strength. And that's why it says in Nehemiah 8, 10, I am strong in the Lord, or the joy of the Lord is my Strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we're trying to get strength, which means if you're trying to get it, you're coming from a place of need. But God says, don't come to me from a place of need. Come to me from a place of strength. And the only way you and I can come to a place of strength is realizing that you and I possess joy on the inside of us. That will give you a greater place to pray from, A greater place to position yourself from is a position of joy and strength instead of weakness and need. I need this, and I need that. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't ever pray for a need. Lord, I'm just believing for a better job. You can do that. But it's still, if you pray that from a place of, oh, God, pray, I pray, I pray, that's from a place of need instead of a place of expectancy. Joy has expectancy that God's going to work this out for me. God's going to work this out for me. Psalm 1611 says this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When that was written, you know, I just, I had the understanding that, you know, when you're in the presence of God, there was this fullness of joy. But. The culture or the meaning in Hebrew is the word presence. There is not that God is just present with us. No, it's He's face to face. So instead of saying God is in, in His presence, there's joy forevermore. No, when I'm looking, when I come to God, it's face to face. He's looking you eyeball to eyeball. And He says, when you're seeing Jesus, There's always going to be joy no matter what's going on on the outside. No matter what's going on in your circumstance. When you see Jesus, there's going to be joy. The Passion Translation, actually, I think it says it better. For you bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life. The path to the bliss that brings me face to face with you. So when we are coming to God... If we could just understand every time I come to God, he's looking at you face to face. We need to understand that. And when you do and you have a revelation of that, joy is going to spring up on the inside of you and me. And uh, if you stop and think about it, what Jesus experienced through his life of 33 years on this planet, especially when he entered into ministry the last three years of his life, I mean, people spit on him, lied about him, said that even the Pharisees and Sadducees said that he didn't even know God. Can you imagine somebody saying that about Jesus? He doesn't know God. If he knew about God, he would follow the law. That's what they said about Jesus, the Son of God. They ridiculed him, made fun of him, and eventually even crucified him and killed him, beat him, did all of these things. Now, you stop and think about why would Jesus, who the, and the Bible says in Philippians that he emptied himself. He became a man. So, yes, Jesus was God, but his body, his, what he felt, he felt what you felt. When you're tired, he felt tiredness. His body got sleepy just like yours. You remember when they went across the sea and uh, the boat filled up with water? He was asleep in the back of the boat. Why? Because he was tired and sleepy, so he went to sleep. He got hungry. He felt pain. He bled just like you and I would bleed. His body was just like your body and my body and the fact that it felt just like what you and I would feel. Having knowing that, why would somebody go all the way through that? What would impo- Let me put it a different way. What would empower somebody to go through that? To know that he was going to be made a sinner. Which meant that he was going to know what it feels like to be a rapist, to be a murderer. He was going to know what that felt like. Every sin that would ever be committed, he would become that. Him who knew no sin would become sin. Who could possibly go through with that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us what empowered him to do that. We look away from the natural realm. And we fasten our gaze unto Jesus who birthed faith within us. Did you catch that? He's the one who birthed faith within you and me. And who leads us forward into face perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. Stop right there. He focused on the joy of knowing that you and me would become him. Become his. His family. The joy of knowing that? That is what empowered him? It is. He looked on the other side of the cross, and after his resurrection, he knew that you and I would become his. And that is what empowered him. He said for the joy that was set before him, he could endure all of the hell that he would go through. And then he goes on to say, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. It was humiliating. You may not know this, but he was naked on the cross. Naked. A lot of people, you know, you watch the movie, and I'm glad. It would be rated really bad if he was You know, you say that, but he was naked. The humiliation of just the crucifixion alone was a very humiliating death. His humiliation, and now he sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus bore all of your shame, all of our shame, the shame of the whole world. He took upon it. He absorbed it like a sponge. That's why I I said this a couple of weeks ago. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the whole world became dark. I truly believe that darkness congregated at the cross All of the evil and all the darkness and Jesus soaked it all into himself and he took it to the grave. Why did he do that? Colossians 2.15 says that he did that to disarm all of the devils and the power of the enemy. He disarmed that. He didn't take it away from the earth, but he disarmed it from having power over you and me. Do we understand that? Do we have a revelation of that? That everything that the devil tries to put on you and me or bring up to you has been disarmed and we don't have to accept it. Whether it's sickness, poverty, what people are saying about you, whatever negative thing is going on, you have the power and ability to reject it because it is has been disarmed and has no power over you and me. Jesus did that. He absorbed it all. Well, the good news is that he did all of that. He said, I did it for the joy that was set in front of me. Jesus connected his future to empower him through the present. That's how he did it. He looked beyond the cross, he saw you and me, and that joy empowered him to go through hell and and all of the things that man was going to do unto him and that he would become. Wow. That is powerful for that to, to be able to cause a man to go through that. What am I saying? This is the good news. You and I will, there will never be a person on this planet that will ever have to go through what Jesus did, and the joy that was inside of him empowered him to go through that. I'm pretty sure the joy that is in you can empower you to go through anything that you and I will ever face. Woo! Amen. There is nothing that you and I will ever face. I don't care what tragedy it could be, and there's some bad ones. People go, oh my goodness, they lost their child. Oh my goodness, this happened. Oh, that happened. Oh, it's terrible. It's just, a, it's a terrible. It's bad. Yeah, but there is something inside of you and me to get you through that, with a place and a song of victory, no matter how bad it is. Now, I no, that's just like, what? What? It's because we don't understand the joy that is in you. I don't understand the joy that is in me. But I tell you what. I'm understanding it more today than I did a year ago, 10 years ago. Joy is connected to the love of God. And when you understand how much he loves you, because you think, how can God allow all of these terrible things that are going on? That's, that's what the whole world wants to know. If there's a God, why would he, all these terrible things be happening? So I don't believe there's a God. That's a good point it's not the right point but I understand your point you have to look through all of the history of the planet that if God is going to give man a choice there's only two things really that God that we we get to do choose and trust God says I put blessing and cursing before you choose the blessing choose life get to choose Love only does that. Love says, I'm going to give you a choice. If, it, if you don't have a choice, then that's really not true love. But if he says, I'm going to give you a choice, you can choose Jesus or you can choose your own way. You get to choose. I was just meditating upon this You know, at home. I, I walk when I talk to God. When I talk to you, when I talk on the phone, I'm walking. I'm, I just walk. Something about my feet are connected to my mouth. Somehow, if I'm listening and talking, I'm walking. But anyway, I was talking to God, and I just said, I was thinking of all these good things, you know, that he's given me, given us. The Bible says this, that he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Would that leave anything out? So I was thinking about all this. I wasn't thinking about that scripture, but I was thinking about the good things that God has given to me, and I said, Lord, I just want to give you my worship. And he stopped me right in my tracks, and he says, you can't even give me that. And I went, I stopped, and I went, what? Worship is something that we have received from God, the goodness of God, and we're literally just giving it back into him. So in reality... It's not even something that you can give God. You think it? So, this is, you know why? Because I know sometimes we worship, oh man, they, they really know how to worship God. Man, I just worshiping God and all things. And if you're not careful, it becomes more about the, the music and the song, and musician or you. When all of along, it's supposed to be about him and what he has done for you and what he has given to you, and because of what he's done for you and what he's given to you, you in turn give it back and go, "Wow, God, you gave me such a blessed life. So worship has been initiated by him. It's been given to you, and you're just giving it back. It's all about him, even in that. Man, I, I tell you what, this grace message, I just keep finding out little trinkets of, of gold that I find. I, Oh, Lord, I want to give you my worship. He goes, nah, it's a good thought, but it's not reality. If you're trying to give me something because of what you can give, that is self-righteous. I'll get back here. I'm telling you what, when, we, when God says it's all about Jesus, it is all about Jesus. Even in worship, it's about him, and it's what he's given to me, and I'm just giving it back. Paul said it this way. I should have looked it up. It's in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. He says, how can you boast if something's been given to you? So let me just put it in black and white. What has been given to you? Everything has been given to us. Even the power, the Jewish people even knew this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is God who gives you power to get wealth. Even the ability to make money has been given by God. Every stinking thing, well, stinking's not a right adjective, but everything. I said everything it has come from God that you need and that I need not only to, for this life, but also for godliness, anything in the spiritual realm. And if you and I are trying to perform to grasp it and to get it, that is self-righteousness, and it's up, you're trying to figure it's up to you. I said it this way the first service. I, I, it came to me. I thought, man, that's a good illustration. I'm going to remember that one. It's kind of like when I try to do something to get the blessings of God. I'm cutting out the middleman. I always like that phrase, cut out the middleman, because why? When you cut out the middleman, it saves you money. You understand what I'm saying? So if I could cut out the middleman, I mean, if I could go to the the production center that actually sells the product instead of all these other guys that are getting a piece of the pie, if you go and cut out all of those middlemen, you get it a lot cheaper. We do that with God sometimes. We're cutting out the middleman. It's like, okay, I got to do this. So, I can receive this. You're cutting out Jesus. We are trying to perform to get the goodness and the blessing of God, and we try to cut out the middleman without even noticing it, realizing it. Does that make sense? That's a powerful slap you upside the head illustration. This is what. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says that all of the promises of God are yes and so be it. Which means this, Mike has nothing to do with it. So if we're going to cut out anybody, it ought to be you and me. And if you're not cutting out you and me, then you're going to miss it. The only person to cut out of the picture is you and me. And it should be Jesus And the blessings, you and I should not even be in the picture. What? Yeah. If you're trying to grasp a hold of the old covenant, because in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says that uh, all of these blessings, oh, you'll be blessed in in the field. You'll be blessed in the city. Whatever you set your hand to, it shall prosper. You'll be blessed coming. You'll be blessed going. Your flocks, your herds. In other words, your bank account. That was their livelihood. All of that would be blessed, but there was a big "if" in front of all of that. If there was a major stipulation. If you obey me. So, what did the church? What did I try to do? Growing, I was raised in church, man. I was raised, and my whole life, I tried to make sure that I obeyed. And so many times, I failed at that. Have you failed at obeying God? Uh, We all have. And so therefore, I knew that because I didn't obey, I would not be able to receive. And the focus was on If the focus is ever on you, you will never be able to receive all of the blessings which have been given to you and are in you. I said are in you. Not out here to gain, not out here to grasp a hold of. If the focus is on you obeying, you are still connected to the old covenant. And if you're still connected to the old covenant, then therefore you have to live according to the law. Which was impossible. I'm going to say it again. It was impossible to live according to the law. You had to be perfect in every, every area of your life. In February, I'm going to teach on that. I'm going to teach on the law. I'm going to set so many people free. Come back in February. But this is the thing. The Lord just keeps enlightening all of us that it's not based upon your performance or what I do. It's based upon Jesus because God did not even make a covenant with all of humanity. Did I get your attention? God made a covenant between him and his son. The covenant, the new covenant, is between God and Jesus. The good news is this. Jesus obeyed every I dotted, every T cross. He obeyed everything perfectly without any mistakes. Can you say thank you, Jesus? He's the only one. So when you read Deuteronomy, you said Jesus obeyed. God perfectly. He obeyed him without fault. Every day of his life, he obeyed God without any fault at all. What's the good news? We are on the outside looking in. And God says, believe upon him who he sent, Jesus. And when you do, you become joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus has all of the blessings. God says, everything that pertains to life and godliness, I'm pouring into Jesus. All of the promises, any promise you can find about in the Bible, it's been put inside of Jesus. That's why that scripture says, all of the promises are yes and amen in him. In him. So when you are joined to him, now it has nothing to do with you and me. It's all because of him. I'm telling you, I keep saying that, and every time I say it, it just, it's just an overwhelming statement. It's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon me. It's just me believing. It's just me choosing. I choose. I choose him. Joy gives you the opportunity to be at a place of rest. And let me just say this. Anytime that you and I are judging people, it just hinders the joy from manifesting out here. It would just be suppressed in here. Anytime you judge anybody. Now, when people say that, you go, oh, yeah. Including judging yourself. What? Yeah, when you judge yourself, joy is suppressed. Now, when I say, yeah, we don't need to judge, you go, yeah, Pastor, we don't need to judge. That includes you. If you are judging yourself, you will suppress the joy that is in you. Man, I am, I have been guilty of that. I mean, I've just, I look at myself and I go, how could you be so Stupid. I mean, with a capital S stupid, not just normal stupid, with a capital S stupid. How could you do that? Why would you do that? And you just you look on yourself and you judge yourself as stupid. You and I can do something stupid, but we are not stupid. What you've done may have been something stupid, but you're not a stupid person. Paul put it this way. I forgot where it's at in Corinthians, but he said... There's adulterers, there's fornicators, there's liars, and he makes this ugly list. He says, and these people aren't going to receive the kingdom of God. I mean, liars is in there. Is anyone anyone here ever told? Don't raise your hand. But, I mean, if you lied, I mean, if you've been upset, lost your temper. I mean, all, the list is in there, and he goes, if you've done anything, you go, oh, my goodness. And so people read that list, and you think, oh, my goodness, are we going to go to heaven? But then the next scripture says, but such were. You know, I didn't do so well in English, but I do know "were" means that's past tense, that's history. He says that's what you were, but now you have been washed and cleansed. Woo! So, what you it doesn't mean. Listen to me now, because this is going to freak out your religion. You can do those things, but that's not does not mean that's what you are. If you understand that you've been blood-washed and that you've been made righteous, that's the authentic you. The authentic you is not somebody, you can lie, but you're not a liar. You can cheat, but you're not a cheater. You go, what? That person, they are just a liar. They are a fornicator. They are this. No. It's not what they are. They may have done what you said they did but they are not who you say they are you have to take that up with God joy will change your perspective even of people I got a ways to go I don't know about you God wants you to realize the joy that is in you so that you can have days of heaven on earth. I was thinking about that this week, and I just thought, you know, there's been days that I've just looked up to God and said, today would be a good day for Jesus to come back. Have you ever had one of those days when it's just like, it's, it's just horrible? I mean... I mean, you, you just expect your dog to come up to you and just pee. I mean, everything is just, it's just everything is going, it's one of those days. Yeah, don't blame you. Go ahead and pee on me. That's good. That's yeah. Yeah, get it out. It's just a bad day. It's just really bad. And you just think, Jesus, today would be a good day for you to come back. And the church has preached and taught that, you know, we, we want Jesus to come. And we do. I mean, we do want Jesus to come back. But let me tell you what's really the foundation of that teaching and desiring and wanting escapism. To escape what's going on down here. And God really doesn't like that mentality. He doesn't like the mentality that, oh, can you imagine just the whole church going up to heaven and all of us busting through the gate and going, oh, dear God, I'm so glad it's over. It was hell down there. It was hell, God. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. How do you think God and all the angels and everybody would feel up there? Why did Jesus come? Just to get you to heaven? I thought of this. I used to think growing up, man, heaven was all about a mansion, streets of gold. Oh, man. I just thought, man, you know, when I was growing up, we lived in a, in a three-bedroom house, you know, and um, I wish our yard was much smaller than what it was because we had a little 18-inch push pushmore that was a half acre, and I had to cut it. I mean, I didn't really want a big yard at that point. But uh, I, I, it would have been nice to have a bigger house, especially with my mother and all my sisters. There was a lot of estrogen in there. It have been good if I could escape escaped some part of the house, but everywhere you went, there was estrogen. But anyway, my point is this. Is you, we think heaven is about a big mansion, streets of gold. We think about it being a place where sickness doesn't dwell, poverty doesn't dwell, no sadness dwells, and that's heaven. I'm going to give you a newsflash. That's not what heaven is about. There's only one thing that heaven is about. It's Jesus. You take away Jesus from heaven, and you're not going to have heaven. You're just going to have a big house. You're going to have streets of gold and all these other things, but it's not going to be heaven. So what is the point? The point that I think God wants you and I to know is heaven is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're waiting and preaching and teaching to the world that you need to get to heaven while God is saying all along, I have placed heaven inside of you. You're expecting something to happen. I mean, just remember Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? He said, she says, I know he's going to rise again. Let me tell you something. Religion always puts the thing in the future. I know that he will rise again, Jesus. Jesus turned around to her and he took the future away. He says, I'm the resurrection. You're looking for the resurrection for something to happen to Lazarus. I want you to know and understand that resurrection is me and I'm here. So you're looking for something in the future while well, all along resurrection is here. Quit looking for the future. Even quit looking for heaven. Am I saying, man, am I not going to be glad when I get to heaven? Oh, yes, sir. But in Deuteronomy, it says that God wants to give you days of heaven on earth that you may have days of heaven on earth you want to just spit in the devil's eye do you want to make every circumstance that you and i will ever face i don't care if it's a tragedy i don't care what's going on in your life it would be just like spitting it in the eye if you go heaven is on the inside of me if heaven is truly on the inside of us should there ever be a place of depression or sadness i'm not trying to be listen to me I'm not trying to belittle any tragedy or something that you're going through. My point is this. God, he'll walk with you through the valley, the shadow of death, which means the shadow can be on you, but it's not supposed to be in you. There's a difference. Yeah, we can mourn, and you should mourn, but you don't live a life of mourning. The Bible says we do not mourn like the world mourns. What does that mean? I mean, something tragedy happens and you just, for days, months, years, sometimes even the rest of their life is spent in mourning. Something's wrong with that picture. We've all had deaths in our life. We've all had tragedy. My first wife was killed in a car accident. I mean, I went to work normal one day, and in the middle of mid-morning, I got a phone call saying she died in a car accident. Tragedy can happen. It, 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 it just can knock on anybody's door. The point is this. Not to live in the tragedy. But to focus on the one that is inside you and me. There is heaven on the inside of you. And it's not just because you live a good life. It's because of the greater one. Christ in you, in me, the hope of glory. And I'm telling you what. He calls the birds to sing again. Once you come through that, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You can walk through the valley of shadow of death but the purpose uh, or, or the meaning is walk through it. Don't camp out and set up tent. Walk through it because Jesus is going to always be compelling you. Come on, Mike. Give me your hand. No, I, I just want to dwell right. now. Give me your hand, Mike. I'm, we're walking through this. And he will walk with you. You know, we used to sing, that he walks with me and talks with me. A long life. What? And he tells me I'm his own? It's about him. It is about Jesus. Even when it comes to worship, even when it comes to anything in our life, No matter what we've gone through, if you're basing and looking out here for your circumstance to give you joy, you'll always come up short. But I'm praying for all of us, including myself, for our city, that we would have revelation and insight into the joy that is in you, that is in me. Because if we can live from a place of joy, it will cause you and me to love every creep. every thorn in your flesh. I'm not saying you have to be best friends and have coffee with them. Let me just be sure on that. But I am saying that they cannot take from you the joy that is in you. Now, you can give it to them. You can give it away. But they can't take it. You know, I've said this illustration. Um, Let me just say this. Do you think Jesus' prayers are going to be answered? He said to his disciples, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. People are preaching and teaching doom and gloom. While all along Jesus was saying, this is my prayer. The kingdom of God, whatever is being done in heaven, I pray will be done on earth I'm going to hook up with that prayer I'm going to hook up with that mentality, I'm going to hook up with that faith, the faith of almighty God is in you and me and that's what's crying out within every believer, the will of God is being done the will of God is being done you, I'll close with this real quick you know you've heard me say that, I, I know this illustration came from God A man knocked on the door, and I opened it. He had a hood over his face. He was dressed in black, and and he was a burglar. And he comes up, and he says, I'm here to rob you. He had no gun, no knife, no weapon whatsoever. And I turned, and I saw me. And I had, you know, an AK-47. I had one of those rocket launchers, and I had a a thing of bullets on here and revolvers, you know, Clint Eastwood guns everywhere, you know, and everything. And, And, you know, now we can update it and put a Luke Skywalker saber. I like that. Do it again. I mean, I was bad to the bone. I could have been like Clint Eastwood, make my day. Come on. I had all these weapons. You know what I did? I gave them to him. Here you go. Lightsaber here, revolvers, rocket launcher. Gave them all to him. And he used those weapons and hurt me. And then the scripture, Luke 10, 19, came to my mind. Says, Behold, I give unto you power and authority over all of the power of the enemy. Nothing, <laughs> nothing shall absolutely be able to harm you. But you have the choice. You and I have the choice to give people the ability to offend you and to harm you. But if they offended you, and harmed you it's not because of them it's because you gave them that ability they do not have the ability to harm you not one devil one person on this planet has the ability to harm you and me if they are harming you it's your fault I'm just saying what God told me just let the chips fall where they may I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful that I have the power that nobody can touch. it. can't touch this. But you can give people the power to touch it. Nobody has a weapon to harm you. Not even Satan. Colossians 2.15 says he's been disarmed. He doesn't even have a weapon to, to harm you. But you can give him the weapons. Oh, you can give the devil weapons. That'll set you free. Knowing that. Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to pray for all of us. This is why I prayed for you all last night and this morning. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. We may know the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of his love so that we can all live from a place of joy a journey. I'm not there, but I do know that that ability is in me. Do you know that's half the battle? Knowing that you have what it takes to make it. We'll say it again. Half the battle is knowing that you have what it takes to make it. If you think that you're trying to get it, I spent most of my life trying to get it. Are you hearing me? I spent most of my life trying to live a godly life so I can attain something from God. And I kept trying, kept trying, kept falling, kept judging myself. I'm just not good enough. And if we're trying to attain something, you're you're going to be like the children of Israel running around the mountain for 40 years when all along God says this. You have what it takes, Mike. I'm going to say that to you, everybody out there. You have what it takes to make it. That's half the battle. Now, the other half is getting insight and revelation of what you have on the inside of you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for each and every one of us, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened that we may know. And now that we do know what is in us, the joy that is in us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy it causes us to be able to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and coming out without any smell of smoke, like the three Hebrew children. They were in the fire, but there was not even a smell of smoke on them. We're in the fire almost every day of our life, God. Some of us, it's just lots of things going on. But help us to see the joy that is in us, that even though we're in the fire, Jesus... Is in the fire with us, keeping from the flames of this earth from burning us, causing destruction in our life. And when the dust settles, we'll know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.